this Easter 2018, pretty exciting year. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a good year. I used to think, I think I shared this with you guys recently, but I thought for the longest time that the Lord was going to come back in 2018. Nobody knows the day or the hour, that's what scriptures say, but we're to know the times and the seasons. The Bible's chocked full of prophecy. And Jesus gave us in Matthew 24, the generation that sees the regathering of Israel, okay, 2,000 years They were dispersed. We've never had a people group come back to their own homeland that made it more than three generations. They went 2,000 years. Thursday morning with our men's Bible study, we're in Amos, and we read those specific prophecies again of God regathering and what he was going to do there, and he's been faithful to do that. Um, That one generation, a lot of times in Scripture, a generation spoke to of 70 years. Well, they regathered in 1948. So 2018 would be 70 years later It's kind of exciting. Again, we don't know that for sure because there's a lot of different generations. It might be the last Jew or person on planet Earth that got to see that. But we just know that it could be any time. And it's exciting. And we should be excited as believers. I think about the Jewish people, just the reality of what Jesus did. He came to his own and they rejected him. Okay, He gave them everything they needed to know. (laughs) The time of his arrival and they wanted nothing to do with them. The religious people of the day, forget you. Um, and we see that today. There's a lot of religion in the world. A lot, hey, I'll do this, I'll do that. You know, well, God wants relationship with us. That's why he's created us for himself, to have that relationship, for us to glorify him. So why don't we pray before we jump into this morning's teaching. We're going to take a little break from the Gospel of Matthew, but I think you guys are going to be super encouraged as we've been going through Matthew. We're going through the Beatitudes right now. It all comes back to the Gospel, the good news. And as we consider, really, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's how we know the good news is good news. (laughs) It's legit. Um, So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We do want to ask you as we take uh, time to look to your word, Father, which you've told us to do. You've told us to uh, let your word dwell in us richly. Father, we never want to get to a place where the uh, resurrection story, Father, becomes something, oh, that's something I've heard before. I know it. I get it. Lord, it's our hope. And we want our Father just once again come with uh, open ears, open hearts, Lord. Help us to see just the goodness and the reality, Father, of, uh, of all that you've done. Lord, you are the risen Christ, the Savior of the world. What a hope to share. We just pray you'd open our hearts now. We're asking your name. Amen. Uh, we're going to look at a few different passages, but the main two are going to be Mark chapter 14, verse 50, and in the Gospel of John chapter 20, verses 19 to 20 this morning. Um, I got them on your bulletins. Uh, you can look them up in, the, in your Bibles if you wish. But I want to take a look at Mark 14.50 with you guys. One short little statement is made here. Then they all forsook him and fled. This is speaking of the disciples, those who had walked with Jesus for three years. Now I want you guys to flip over now to the Gospel of John real quick. In chapter 20, verse 19, and in your mind, I want you to fast forward now three days, okay? They now forsook him. They all fled. Now, three days later, we find ourselves here 
where it says in verse 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood in the midst of them. Guys, this is after the crucifixion in his burial. He's now there with them, standing in their midst. And he said to them, Peace be with you. Now, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So it's kind of like striking out with the bases loaded, last bat of the final game of the World Series for these guys, okay? (laughs) Or, say, losing the make-or-break contract maybe you've been working on for months, or maybe being rejected by your husband of 30 years for a younger woman, or maybe like filing bankruptcy in this dream that you tried to turn into a business. It was a devastating loss. It was a defeat, a bitter defeat. In fact, one of the fellows was so distraught that he walked off and he killed himself. There were several hours when the other guys felt like doing the same. Imagine digesting this huge slice here of humble pie. Imagine this bitter pill sliding down your throat. Imagine what it was like for Jesus' disciples to choke on the crucial moment and betray their Savior. For three years... These men were the recipients of Jesus' miracles. They witnessed his wonders. They were privy to his teachings. These 12 men were the central focus of his attention. Jesus taught and tutored these guys. He took their hopelessness and he enlisted them to be lieutenants for his kingdom. Now their master was under attack, assaulted by Satan. An angry mob from the temple had come to lynch Jesus, led by the betrayer from his own ranks. Suddenly Jesus was surrendered by this rabid pack of religious pit bulls, frothing with jealousy and prejudice. Jesus was in danger, and if ever there was a time for the disciples to take a stand, it was Now, if you had looked at anyone's wristwatch, it would have read crunch time, right? But sadly, tragically, regrettably, none of these men who was with Jesus had taken under his wing, dared help him shoulder his burden in his hour of need. Yes, Peter did a little sword swinging as we know but when jesus didn't approve of his methods his loyalty went up in smoke mark sums it up here they all forsook him and fled and trust me this rejection was made worse by the boast they all uttered earlier that same night John remembers it well in the upper room at the dinner when Jesus with his disciples had declared their allegiance. We believe that you have come forth from God was the declaration. 
That's when Jesus told them in John 16, 32, the hour is coming, yes, has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. He knew their words were nothing but hollow boasts. Of course, no one's boast that night was as haughty, as self-confident, as determined as the words that rolled off the lips of the impulsive Peter. In Matthew 26, 31, Jesus warned the disciples, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And that's when Peter answered and said to him, even if all, everybody, are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. What ominous words. I'm sure there are former athletes who can't enter particular stadium without reliving a defeat or a divorcee who sees a photograph of their former spouse without their blood pressure severely spiking or maybe a victim of a crime who recoil in the terror to pass the sight of their attack or to see their attacker And I'm sure that every time Peter heard a rooster crow, he too relieved that awful agony of having abandoned the Lord. Peter probably hated roosters. Um, It's interesting in Mark 14, 50 here, it tells us they all forsook him, all of them, and fled. But Mark adds a point that none of the other gospel writers mention. He says, now a certain young man followed him, having linen cloth thrown around his naked body. This is when Jesus was being led to be on trial and then crucified. Okay? The young man, uh, young men there, then laid hold of this young man okay, and left his linen cloth and he fled off naked. Okay? <laughs> so most commentators believe that this was actually Mark himself. The upper room where Jesus met with his disciples probably belonged to Mark's family. The night a young Mark may have followed Jesus and his disciples out of the Garden of Gethsemane. And when Jesus was arrested, Mark tried to follow him again, but this time he got too close to the mob and a couple of soldiers grabbed him when he took himself uh, took himself, he loosed himself, and then he lost his night robe. Now naked as a jaybird, uh, he fled away into the shadows of the night. So in fact, those dark shadows were crowded that night with lots of guilty people who had abandoned Jesus. Imagine a young Mark, shivering and naked and cold, and now he's afraid to come out in the open, and he's ashamed to head back home. Though we speculate this man was Mark, I believe there's good reason God kept him nameless. It's a figurative, in the figurative sense, we can say this young man 
It's me. It's you. It's all of us who have abandoned Jesus. We tried to follow him. We were clothed in our own thin cloak of pity and devotion. But when temptation and fear caught hold of us, it exposed our inadequacy of our righteousness in the frailty of our faith. So we tucked tail to and fled away. So the nameless and naked young man in the story is actually you and me. Have you ever felt defeated? I think so. We all go through that. Have you ever felt defeated by life? By temptation? By Satan? Or perhaps by yourself? You're your own worst enemy. You keep shooting yourself in the foot. Um, Finn has decided to join soccer. We're not a soccer family. I never played a day of soccer in my life. I'm clueless. But I'm willing to learn for the son of my, or sake of my son, right? In soccer, there's this term defensive men hate to hear, and they cringe at its mention. It's the term own goal. You see, from my limited understanding, this is actually when a score is scored by the defense. You, you score on yourself. Um, it's when the defender kicks the ball into his own goal. And here's my question. Have you ever kicked an own goal? Do you keep defeating yourself through your own fear or doubt or lust or lack of resolve? You see, Jesus has millions of followers and you, are, you and I are among them. But how often has our Lord stood alone and abandoned? There have been times when you and I were willing to come out and stand next to him. And then we've hid in the shadows, naked and nameless. On the night before Jesus was crucified, all his disciples forsook him and ran away. The flock was scattered. Everyone fled. No one stood their post. It was an utter, bitter, embarrassing defeat. Times 12. What happened to the 12 disciples between Thursday night and Sunday morning? We're not sure. Have you read about it in the scriptures? Where did they go? Their whereabouts, their activities, they vanished from the record. And since the disciples themselves wrote the Gospels, they probably deliberately omitted something, right? So no soldier really brags what he did when he was AWOL. Only activities the two disciples get highlighted, we find in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verse 62, we're told Peter, he went out and he wept bitterly. And then we're told in Matthew 27, verse 5, we're told that Judas threw down the silver pieces. He was paid to betray Jesus. Well, he was sorry, not repentful. You know, he was sorry for what he did. He threw the money back. Instead of repenting and going back, turning back to Christ, he left the temple, he departed, he went and he hanged himself. So it's my assumption that what the other disciples did was probably somewhere in between those two. The tears these grown men shed, the shame they suffered, the enormous guilt that they endured. 
But it's interesting, by Sunday evening, everyone but Judas came back. Back from despair. Back from the edge of hopelessness. Back from the graveyard of guilt. Back from the shadows of condemnation. In those three days, some of the disciples might have gone home. Others gone fishing. A few might have gotten drunk, but everyone disappeared into hiding. Yet somehow, when we get to Sunday evening, all the disciples except Judas are back. They're reassembled in this upper room where they had eaten the Last Supper with Jesus. Trust me, they were badly beaten. Their grit was gone. Their courage had been shaken. Their faith had wilted. And it was hanging on by a thread. They were far from intact. They were just back. And the question arises, what was it that brought them back? What was it that brought these 11 men back? Certainly part of it were the rumblings of a resurrection. So-and-so had told so-and-so, who had heard it from so-and-so, who had talked to those women who were at the tomb. Their testimony had gotten back to these deflated and doubting disciples. But at this point, the disciples were far from convinced by what they had heard. For them, it was still a rumor. They were no doubt curious. They had hoped it was true, but could they really believe something so daring? They saw him die. <laughs> How could he be alive now, right? Well, Mark sixteen fourteen comments, afterward, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief in the hardness of their heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Faith was not the disciples' initial reaction. Early on, they were hesitant and suspicious and skeptical. But they still came back. And it's interesting that the initial, how they initially doubted the truth of the resurrection, the mere possibility was enough to bring them back. And this happens every Easter in churches all over the world. Non-Christians, nominal Christians, who usually would never think of going to church, they do so on Easter. The resurrection, it awakens hope. The resurrected Savior has authority and credibility in drawing power. Folks with slim, meager devotion the rest of the year who really stand for Jesus, who spend more time in the shadows than in the light, still cast a hopeful eye to the resurrection at Easter time. People who might struggle to believe in Jesus in his resurrection with their heads 
are still mysteriously drawn to it with their hearts. It's an amazing attraction. Last year, more people in America Googled church the week of Easter than any other week. So there's something about the resurrection of Jesus that keeps us coming back. I imagine it's obvious. Though racked with problems and dysfunction, the modern world uh, that we live in provides illusion that it has the answers for everything. Science is now savior until we're forced to face death. And here's where the boast of science finally goes silent and it has no answer. Larry King, you guys probably know him, famous talk show host. The dude's 84 already. Um, apparently, he's obsessed with death. He takes four human growth hormone pills every single day in the attempt to delay the inevitable. When he dies, he's arranged for his body to be frozen until doctors can come up with some cure for what killed him. He admits the cryogenics is nuts, but he says, at least it gives me a shred of hope. And we all need hope. Life is impossible without hope. The famed atheist Christopher Hinchins was once challenged to read the words of Jesus in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, where it says, and this is Jesus speaking, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. At the time, Hinchins was suffering from cancer. Someone asked him what he thought of those words. And in a moment of candor, Hinchins commented, I'll admit that they are not without appeal to a dying man. So this is why Jesus' resurrection remains mankind's greatest hope. He stared death in the face. Jesus did what no one else has ever done. He conquered death. And he promises eternal life to everyone, anyone, whoever is willing to put their trust in him. No one with any credible, doubted, um, credibility doubted his resurrection when it happened. For centuries since, men of all persuasions, of all intellects and races, ethnicities have found hope in Jesus' signature miracle. His resurrection is the best answer to our biggest problem. Even 2,000 years later, people don't gather together to sing, the stock market has risen. <laughs> it is risen indeed. No, we don't do that. The dollar is risen. It is risen indeed. The housing market, finally it's risen. It's risen indeed. No, that's ridiculous, right? For centuries, in times of distress, in times of hardship and crisis, people have found comfort in the refrain, Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. Guys, he lives. And because he lives, we can live. 
That is the good news. That is the hope of this world. For he has conquered death. Then there is no problem that Jesus can't handle. And it has, or it was, this hope that brought the disciples back that Sunday afternoon. Just the thought that Jesus was alive provided his disciples the renewed renewed hope that they lacked. If this were true, everything could be different. Today, we live in a predominantly secular society and pluralistic culture, yet people are still mesmerized by, they're still attracted to the message of Jesus' resurrection. And it brings them back. Despite, you know, despite all of our embarrassing failures, in our devastating defeats, in our spiritual lapses, we come back. Not intact, but we come back. Maybe you're not a strong believer. You're just a wisher, a hoper. You're here today out of respect, maybe out of intrigue, maybe just curiosity. And if that's the case, then you're really not unlike the disciples in the upper room. They were doubters, but they came back. Yet it wasn't just the possibility of the resurrection that encouraged the scattered disciples to reassemble, right? You see, if you don't know Jesus, and all you heard is that a person you abandoned, you cursed, you rejected, you denied and left to die, now returned from the dead, hey, you might not want to come back. (laughs) You might be worried that Jesus had risen from the dead to exact some revenge, or he's come back to get even with those deserters and traitors, namely you. Uh, You might think that. And if you didn't know Jesus, but the disciples, they did know him. And they had marveled time and time again at Jesus' readiness and his willingness to take people back. People others were just willing to discard. There was a woman that was caught in adultery. A swindling tax collector we read of. A wild-eyed demoniac whose townsfolk had banished him to the caves outside of the city. There were dirty lepers that no one else would touch. A prostitute who was inhabited by seven demons. A Roman soldier who cried out for his help. An out-of-control son who exacerbated his father. And not a one of them did Jesus turn away. He took them all back without receipt, without original packaging, even if the goods were damaged or if the shoes had been worn off the carpet. He took them back. Disciples knew Jesus was always willing to take you back. So I'm sure the disciples reasoned 
if Jesus had done the unthinkable and truly conquered death, if he really was alive, there was hope then for forgiveness. That's why all day long, that Sunday, these defeated, deflated disciples staggered back to this upper room. Rumors of the resurrection drew them out of their hiding places. Hopes of restoration brought them back. Don't misunderstand. Not everyone who gathered that day in the upper room believed in the resurrection. Not yet. But they met the prerequisite for it. They still hoped. They just still hoped. This was the difference between the 11 disciples and Judas. They all failed. They all succumbed to their fears. They were all confused. They were all feeling miserable. But all the disciples except Judas gave hope a chance. Hope faded and flickered, but it stayed alive. Judas, though he hung himself, it was just because he had lost all hope. Once a man climbed to the roof of an apartment, high-rise, where he lived, from there he leapt to his death. Friends and family all tried to make sense of his actions, but the building's janitor offered the best explanation. The old janitor was quoted, when a man has lost God, there ain't nothing to do but jump. You see, hope in Jesus' resurrection and hope in their own restoration is what brought the disciples back. And it's been said, the most profane word in the English language is hopelessness. So when you say a situation or a person is hopeless, you're slamming the door in God's face. The disciples were like a little leaguer. A bystander asked, what's the score of the game? The little guy answered, we're losing. 18 to 0. The man said, I bet you feel discouraged. The kid answered, why would I be discouraged? We haven't batted yet. You see, the disciples, they were in a deep, dark hole. Spiritually speaking, they were behind 18 to 0. Their failure, their guilt tried to shut the door, but hope brought them back. You see, in Mark chapter 16, it tells us when the angels greeted the women at the empty tomb and announced that Jesus had risen, they gave them special instructions. The angels told them, but go and tell his disciples and Peter. I love that. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was already thinking about his discouraged, deflated disciples? He wanted them to know that he had risen, and especially Peter. No one's hopes had been more dashed than Peter's. They all sinned and they all fell short, but Peter's boast had set him up for a harder fall. It reminds me of the missionary who lived near a racetrack. Gamblers would walk by the by, or from the town to the track 
and they went right past his apartment. One day, from his balcony, he noticed a disheveled fellow on the sidewalk below. The missionary had just received $100 um, in the mail, $100 bill of financial support from someone in the States. And he figured the man on the sidewalk needed the money more than him. So he put it in an envelope, and he wrote on the front an encouraging message. Two words. Don't despair. The next day, the bum knocked on the missionary's door and handed him $600. He was surprised. What's this? The fellow answered, don't despair, paid five to one. (laughs) Well, if you don't despair, if you don't allow your sin and guilt and failure to cause you to give up, if you come back to the risen Savior, he'll reward your blessings. Just don't pay five to one. If you guys know Christ, you have faith in him, you've been born again, you know it's more like times a million. You can't explain it. There's nothing better. There's no greater treasure. You see, were the disciples discouraged? Absolutely. Okay? They were discouraged. You know they were. They had doubts. They were riddled with doubt. They were fearful. They locked doors. Um, they testified to the terror. Okay, they killed Jesus. They're after us. Um, they were they were scared. So, did these disciples feel like a failure? Well, in their minds, they were failures, probably with a capital F. Um, did they feel embarrassed, condemned, ashamed, guilty? Yes. But despite it all, hope brought them back. All day long, disciples wandered into the upper room. They locked the doors behind them. They bolted the windows. They spoke in hushed voices, lest their whereabouts be detected and they get reported to the authorities. There were no more bold statements of belief or daring acts of courage, not yet. Sermons and stands would come later. At first, all they did was just come back. Yet because they acted on the hope they had left and walked out of the shadows, a miracle occurred. John 20, verse 19 records it. When the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. So obviously the resurrected Christ was no longer subject to material restrictions and physical limitations that confine normal humans. If I try to walk through a wall, I'm going to flatten my nose, right? (laughs) Yet Jesus did it with no repercussions at all. You could say Jesus was the first person to utilize keyless entry. Um, Our Lord didn't need keys. No doorknobs, no hinges, no walls can keep Jesus from people that are hoping in him. So this passage in John 20 is really pregnant with meaning for me and for you 
The disciples have come back. Their faith, it's far from intact, but they're just back. And they're surrounded by walls, walls of fear. They're afraid of the Jews, afraid of their own safety and future, afraid of repeating mistakes. They were worried and fearful and guilt-ridden. No one in the room could look each other in the eye. The shame was as thick as a wall. The disciples were barricaded in, just behind literal doors and walls. They were trapped behind spiritual walls as well. Yet, here's what you don't want to miss, guys. Jesus appears to his disciples in the mist, okay, Despite the thick walls and the locked doors, no one has ever manufactured a wall or a door that can't keep Jesus away from a person who comes back and puts their hope in him. And I love what verse 19 says. Listen to this line. When the doors were shut, where the disciples had assembled, okay, so the door of death couldn't hold Jesus in and the door of failure couldn't keep Jesus out. The risen Lord appeared to men who had locked themselves behind shut doors. This was not a group brimming with faith, praying to heaven with their doors open. Rather, Jesus appeared to fearful, frightened, and nameless disciples. But apparently none of that mattered. Jesus would fix them. All that mattered is that they were back. And you've got to love the first words that fall from Jesus' lips when he speaks. Peace be with you. Wow. Oh boy, think about that, guys. It had been me appearing to these disciples. If I, if I was Jesus in that moment, I would have said, Hey, I told you so. What were you guys thinking? How could yous? Or maybe I'd say, you know, you should have listened to me. But that's not our Jesus, is it? I'd probably look at Peter and say, cock a doo you know? <laughs> Pray for your pastor. <laughs> but that's not Jesus, is it, guys? It's not Jesus. The first statement out of Jesus' mouth to his shame-faced disciples is peace, be with you. In other words, guys, it's okay. I've forgiven you already. We're cool. It's good. Let's start over. Everything's going to be all right. And can you imagine how his disciples felt when Jesus delivered his greeting? They went from feeling lower than snakes, you know, than a snake's belly to being on top of the world. So when Jesus said, peace be with you, suddenly the disciples were engulfed with this tidal wave of relief, of pardon, of contentment, of peace, of love. And that's when Jesus goes to work rebuilding shattered faith. John tells us that he did it immediately. Now, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Look, guys. I was dead. I'm alive. He proved to them that he was real. 
And then he went to work dispelling their doubts, freeing them from fear, energizing them for the battles to come. It took just 50 days to turn the disciples from wimps to witnesses. Read the first few chapters of the book of Acts and you'll find the same men who were hiding behind doors in John 20, boldly walking through open doors in Acts chapter 2. Cowards became courageous. Author John Stott once observed, perhaps the transformation of the disciples of Jesus is the greatest evidence of all for the resurrection. I would agree with that. These guys went from hiding to being bold in their faith for Christ. Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. Each one of them died a martyr's death, except for John, we know of. All of them were willing to lay down their lives for Christ. And the only reason is, is because they saw the risen Lord. It's all true. He is able to give eternal life to all believe, who believe on him. And that's why they witnessed and shared and proclaimed the good news to the known world. These few men turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. And here we are, an ocean apart 2,000 years later, because of that courage they found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want us to have that same type of courage, guys, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus answered their questions, removed their doubts, their fears, filled them with power, and he did it all in a few weeks. It didn't take long. And he can do the same with us. Jesus specializes in restoration. No one comes to Jesus all put together. I hate when people say that, I'll start coming to church. I just got to get my life together a little bit. That's backwards thinking, guys. God loves us as we are. There's nothing we can do. We come to him, and he makes us right. He starts working on us. Anyways, another message, another time. But we're all rebuilds. So despite your sins and failures, in a relatively short time, Jesus can restore you and revive your life. The issue this morning is not that you failed the Lord. We've all failed Jesus at some point. We're all shaky and shifty and weak-kneed and ill-tempered and guilt-ridden. But if Jesus had mercy enough to forgive his disciples who forsook him in crunch time, he has mercy enough to restore us. So the issue is not, do you have it all together? It's not, are you all intact? The issue is, have you come back? Have you come out of the shadows? Have you come out from hiding? Come out from wherever you've been? Jesus didn't even ask them where they had been. Where you been? What you guys been doing? He just was happy they were back. Actually, he already knew uh, where they had been in their behavior and he had decided to forgive them anyway. And he just says to them, peace be with you. All Jesus asked of them was for them to come back, to be loved by him, to be forgiven by him, to be restored by him. 
As with the disciples, Jesus is willing to walk through walls to get to you and to bring you peace. Even if those walls are your own fears, guilts, doubts. Let me close this morning with the last line of verse 20. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And you will be too. Jesus is alive and he's here. I love when people come to faith in Christ. The scales over the eyes, the eyes that are veiled by the enemy, by Satan. He blinds people to the gospel, he's the light the truth, the hope of Jesus Christ would shine upon them. It's wonderful when somebody puts their faith in Christ, their eyes are open. Wow, I thought this was all a joke. Jesus is alive. I can see he is mine. I'm his, I'm forgiven. I have eternity. And what do they do? They go share with others. (laughs) How did you guys get saved? Somebody shared with you. Someone loved you enough to tell you the truth of the gospel, to buy you a Bible, encourage you to read, find out for yourself, check out these claims of Christ. As with these disciples, Jesus is willing to walk through walls to get to you and to bring peace, no matter what. He's been waiting on you to come back He's not worried about the shape you're in. He can fix you and make you fit in no time. He's just glad you're back and he wants to reveal himself to you. So if you open your heart to him today, he'll bring you peace that you've never known. Okay? Jesus promises to give a peace that this world can't give. His peace is so far beyond. And being part of his creation, guys, there is nothing better. Life isn't easy. It is hard. But there is just that thing when you're at peace with your maker and you know everything's okay, everything else is okay. That is the one thing. You see, you'll leave today like the disciples on the first Easter Sunday evening, glad you came back and happy you've seen the Lord. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, we are, we're just in awe. Or this, this account of what you did a couple thousand years ago, it still brings truly the only hope for mankind. We see that even in our best efforts, we see all the religions of the world It's do, do, do. We're trying so hard to find that peace to make ourselves right before you to be good enough. And if anyone's honest, we know we all still fall short. We are still sinners. You are a holy God. And you love us. And you chose to do what we couldn't do. You came. You lived a perfect life to be a perfect sacrifice. And yet, 
though sinless, we wanted you dead. We wanted nothing to do with you. We wanted to put you away. How do we're sorry? But you still loved us. Even on the cross, you cried out, Father, forgive them. And today, you are still willing to forgive. You overcame sin and death. And you still are inviting us, Lord. You are still giving hope to this world for anyone that is willing to bow their knee and come to you to receive that gift of eternal life. We thank you, God, that you haven't changed, that you're still alive, that people are still coming to faith today all over this world. Sometimes we ask the question why you haven't come back yet. The world is still so rebellious, still willing to believe so many lies and still wanting to reject you. Yet you are long-suffering and you keep loving us and we are thankful. I know I have friends and family that have come to faith in you. I've been able to come to faith in you. We are so thankful that you waited for us. God, and we are so thankful that there are brothers and sisters who are coming into the family right now today. Thank you for this great gift. Thank you that our hope isn't wishful thinking, but you really did rise from the dead like you said you would to prove, Father, that your words about the kingdom, about heaven and hell, this life, it's all true. God, help us to keep seeking you. Help us to come back knowing that there is nothing that we have done no guilt and shame, condemnation that is too great for you, Father, to overcome, to forgive. We thank you that you love us all. We just thank you, Father, for the hope you've given to us through the resurrection. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you ask us to come back no matter how many times we try to run away. You always welcome us back. You're a good dad. We thank you for that. Amen? Amen. Would you guys stand to your feet? I'd like to close our time with a benediction from the scriptures that we find in Hebrew 13. It says, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, you guys have a great Easter. Lord bless you guys. Hope to see you next week. We will continue on in the Gospel of Matthew.